Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we are continuing a series that we've kicked off that's leading us into the holiday season. And unlike uh, some of our other series that we've done in the past, really most of our series around here, we kind of group each week around a central theme or a topic, or a lot of times it's a principle that we kind of tease out from three or four different angles over the course of three or four different weeks. But uh, we do have a theme for this series. Uh, But rather than being about a principle or a singular idea, we've wrapped this whole series around the same setting. And that setting is the setting of the table or or the setting of different meals that show up. And each week so far, I've told you, like, meals are kind of a a big deal theologically. If you read through scripture, uh, the whole thing starts and God creates everything. One of the first commandments he gives is go eat and go enjoy it. He has a little caveat where he says, don't eat that one thing, and then we do it, and it all goes bad. So like meals were kind of there at the beginning. Uh, We'll fast forward a bit. Jesus spent a lot of time having meals with people, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And then if you like fast forward to the very end of the story, the vision for what the kingdom of God, when it's ultimately realized and heaven and earth meet together again, the vision or, or the metaphor or the image that's used in scripture is the image of a great banquet, like a great feast where people from all nations and all tribes and all kinds of backgrounds come together to worship Jesus. So meals are kind of a big deal theologically, but not only are they like conceptually a big deal, but if you look at the life of Jesus, uh, there's a disproportionate amount of real estate in the gospels or or the accounts of Jesus' life that are given to meals. I don't know if Jesus just like ate all the time. I don't know if he was a good cook. I don't know if like what it was exactly, but for whatever reason, the writers of the gospels, when they decided what do we want to include about this person, Jesus, and about his life, they included a ton of mealtimes. And in fact, uh, Jesus ate with people and specifically ate with the wrong people so often that he earned a reputation in his day of being a drunk and being a glutton because they saw him meeting and eating and spending time with people who were supposed to be on the outside of the religious world. Uh, We said this on week one, that Jesus spent time at the table with insiders in terms of the religious community. He spent time with Pharisees or religious leaders of his day, but he spent even more time with outsiders, with people who in that moment in history would have been considered outside of the people of God or the family of God, people that they were actually instructed to not spend time with. Jesus just kind of didn't care, and he spent time with them anyway, and we said it this way, on week one, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus actually liked them back, that he gathered around his table all kinds of people who, in terms of the religious order of the day, shouldn't have been there. And what we said is if that was true of Jesus, and if we want to follow Jesus, like not just believe in him or agree with him, but actually shape our lives around the way that he lived, then people who are nothing like us should like us as well. And that's where it gets a little harder, right? We kind of admire that people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus, But when you and I imagine actually gathering around the table with those people, whoever they are for you, because we all have those people, that's when it gets difficult, right? That's where it's hard to actually wrap your head around it. But what we said is that essentially we have a choice if we want to follow Jesus or not, that we can choose to be gatekeepers or door holders. And gatekeepers are kind of the religious way of being, where you stand at the door, you stand at the gate, and you've got your list of who's in and who's out and you keep them away if they're not good enough or if they haven't checked off all of the right boxes in your opinion or in your view of what God says. 
What we said is that Jesus invites us to an opposite posture. He invites us to be door holders to everyone always because we've experienced the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus. So our job is to go back to the door and hold it wide open for everyone to come in, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're going through in that moment because everyone's invited to experience that love of Jesus. So that was week one. Uh, Last week, we talked about what we actually bring to the table, what we have to offer. And we acknowledge that for most of us in the way that we live our lives, we're kind of living on leftovers, right? Like our lives are so full and they're so busy, which we're gonna talk about that a lot today. Uh, But for many of us, when we look at our schedules or we look at the way that we've shaped and ordered our lives, we're living off whatever's left over, especially in some of the areas that matter most, right? That time that we kind of assess who we are and the big dreams that we have, or that time that we try and connect with God. It's like, if there's time for it, maybe I'll squeeze it in when I can. But what we uh, looked at last week was a famous account where Jesus takes a little boy's leftovers, essentially, where Jesus takes a little boy's lunch. Actually, Andrew took it first, one of his followers, and then gave it to Jesus. Feels meaner that way. But uh, this boy offers his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus takes it, and he multiplies it, and he feeds a huge group of people to the degree that there were leftovers at the end of the day. And what we said is, viewing that, Jesus can do the same thing with us. That if you feel like Like maybe you want to have a big relationship with God and have big faith, or maybe you want to do something big and significant with your life for God, but you look at what you have to offer and you're like, it's just scraps, right? It's just leftovers. It's barely enough for me, if it's enough for me. And you feel like you're just offering that to Jesus. We said that he can actually take our not enough and he can turn it into more than enough. That that God can take our, hey, this doesn't feel like enough, but if we're willing to offer it to him, He can take it and he can do more than enough in us and through us. And so the invitation for all of us was simply to bring what we have, even if we don't think it's enough, even if it doesn't feel like we're qualified. Bring what you have to God and then get out of the way and let him do what only he can do with what we offer. So today um, we're going to kind of shift our focus once again. And today we're going to talk about something that can keep us from even getting to the table in the first place, something that can be a barrier Uh, to the kind of life that Jesus actually calls us to live. And it's something that I believe might be the greatest challenge to our spiritual lives in the moment that we live in. And I have a feeling, I'm not gonna actually do this so you don't have to raise your hand, but if I took a poll of the room and I was just like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, what is the greatest barrier to a healthy faith or or to healthy spirituality in our culture today? What do you think? Like, what kind of answers would come up I would imagine there's all kinds of answers that some of us might point to or all kinds of reasons that it might be difficult for us to follow God. If you want to take like the cultural assessment route, you might say it's just the modern world that we live in or the postmodern world we live in where truth is all relative and you have your truth and I have my truth and we can't question each other's truth. So that's kind of like the sociological, philosophical level maybe that that's a barrier to faith. Maybe you want to go like the church route and it, it's liberal theology. Right? It's people who, who take the Bible lightly and they just make it say whatever they want it to say or, or kind of just do whatever they want to do. Maybe it's the prosperity gospel. If you've ever heard of that, the, the teachers and preachers who basically say Jesus wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, which is not exactly how it worked out for anybody in the story, including Jesus. But maybe that's the barrier, right, to actually following God. Maybe you want to go the cultural issues route. You'd say it's the the redefinition of sexuality or of marriage or some of these hot button culture issues. Just because we've done this like a couple of weeks in a row and it's fun for me to watch everybody squirm at some point or another, maybe you'd say it's Donald Trump, right? Or Joe Biden or wherever, whoever's in the Green Party if you're feeling that. Like we could all point to these different things, right? We could all point to these barriers. And while some of those things may be dangerous to our faith, while some of those things may play a role 
and why it can be difficult to have big faith in God in our moment that we're living in, I hope today that I can show you that the greatest threat to spiritual life in our day is actually something much more subtle and something much more common. It's something that I think almost all of us struggle with along the way. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of this story of an encounter that a pastor uh, that I have looked up to over the years had with a mentor of his. So it was a guy named John Ortberg, and John was a pastor uh, out in California for a while. Uh, In the 90s, he worked for one of the largest churches in America called Willow Creek Community Church, and in its time, uh, Willow Creek was like the model for all kinds of churches in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. People looked to Willow because they were doing new and innovative ministry that had like lights like this and bands like this and uh, kind of the way we do church. And uh, Willow was just growing like crazy at that time. John Ortberg was on their staff as a teaching pastor and he was a best-selling author at this point. And if you looked at John's life in that moment, you would have thought like this is the guy who has it all together, right? This is a guy who knows how to connect with God. This guy knows the spiritual pathway uh, that's gonna be most fruitful in our lives. But John was also really wise and he had this mentor who spoke into his life, a guy who was a little farther along in his faith journey, uh, whose name is Dallas Willard, which if you don't remember anything else today, go check out Dallas Willard because he is incredible. He is like the go-to guy for all things spiritual formation. If you wanna deepen your relationship with Jesus, read anything that he wrote or listen to anything that he said because he was just amazing and this huge influence. Uh, But he was this mentor to John Ortberg and there's this famous encounter that's actually recorded in several different books where Dallas and John met for lunch and they were just gathering, talking about life, sitting around a table, right? And uh, John asked kind of an interesting question to his mentor, Dallas. He said, how can I live my life so that I become the me that I wanna be? Like, what do I need to do to become the person that I think God wants me to be and to live the life that I ultimately want. And Dallas uh, didn't hesitate. He looks up from the table and he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's kind of a weird answer, right? Like, (laughs) what do I need to do to to be alive to God and and to have a spiritually vibrant life? And he says, get rid of hurry. And in fact, Dallas uh, went on and he said this, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And it it feels kind of counterintuitive, right? Like we would think it's the devil or something like that, but he says, no, it's hurry. It's the pace of life that all of us fall into that can actually be the greatest barrier to us having a vibrant faith. And uh, there's a quote by a woman named Corey Tinboom that actually captures the danger of this for how it shows up in our lives, I think, really well. Corrie Ten Boom was an amazing woman. Uh, she lived around the time of World War II. She was actually a Dutch watchmaker. Uh, she's the first woman to ever uh, be licensed as a watchmaker in the Netherlands. That's just free, but I learned that on Wikipedia this week. <laughs> but she, like I said, lived around World War II. She was one of those brave individuals who helped uh, harbor Jewish people and protect them from Nazi oppression. And in fact, she eventually went to a concentration camp, not because she herself was Jewish, She was a Dutch Calvinist Christian who was just trying to love her neighbor well, and she was caught and eventually sent to this concentration camp, and several of her family members died. She made it through and was able to tell her story. But at one time, she observed this about our lives. She said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he'll make us busy. Doesn't that kind of hit us in this moment, right? If if the enemy of God wants to do anything in our lives, and he's not gonna make us bad, like if we're not just like sign me up for evil today, then he'll make us busy. And and for how many of our lives does that fit the bill? Right, for how many of our lives does that kind of sting a little bit? It it used to be when you would ask somebody, hey, how are you? 
we would say fine, which was still kind of surface level and kind of just skimming, right? Like, I'm fine. But now, what do we say? Hey, how's it going? Busy, right? Busy but good. Maybe you're fine but busy now, but we all tag that in there now because it's the way that we're running. And, and I'm not immune to this today, okay? Like, I am probably the biggest hypocrite in the room today to be teaching on this particular topic uh, at this particular moment because, like, I run at the crazy pace that all the rest of you run too. Like, I get pulled into this too. I was supposed to have coffee with somebody this week, and I just straight up forgot to schedule it. They actually weren't here today, so I guess I'm off the hook till next week. But, but yeah, hey, it's somebody in the church. They asked me on Sunday, like, you're my pastor. Can we meet? Can we talk? That's my job, right? That's a good thing for me to do. It was Friday, and I was like, oh, I just, what happened? Right? Where'd the week go? I was just going from thing to thing to thing. So I'm with you in this, okay? If you struggle with this, I do too. And the thing is, like, the enemy of God normally shows up in our life not as a demon with a little pitchfork and like smoky breath or anything like that. Uh, but today, I think we're more likely to encounter the enemy of our faith through a notification on our phone. And phones aren't evil, technology is not evil, that's not what I'm saying. But we're more likely to encounter the enemy of our faith on the backside of whatever our latest Netflix binge was, right? When you're like, whoa, where'd those two days go? <laughs> and how did I watch that whole series? Uh, maybe it's your dopamine addiction to Instagram. That's just taking more time than any of us realize. Or another day spent late at the office because you're just trying to keep up and you're trying to keep up and you're trying to keep up. Or another commitment after another commitment after another commitment as we just run at this speedy pace of life. See, the danger of busyness is really the outcome is a lot like sin itself. I'm not saying being busy is a sin, but the outcome is very similar because busyness cuts off our connection to God and to other people and oftentimes even to ourselves because we're just trying to keep up the pace. We're just trying to manage it all. We're just trying to get from thing to thing to thing. And, and don't get me wrong, I think there's a healthy kind of busyness where you fill your life with things that matter, right? Where, where you, you don't waste your life. You're not just doing mindless things and letting the years pass by. There's a healthy kind of busyness where you give your life to things that matter. And in that sense, it could be said that Jesus was busy, right? Jesus didn't waste a moment on this earth. But the problem for us, it's not having a lot to do, the problem for us is when we have too much to do and the only way that we can keep up with the quota is to hurry more and more and more all the time. There is a uh, Catholic theologian who I really love. He wrote this book called The Holy Longing uh, that I have read several years in a row. It's just, again, all about like formation and having a deep faith and what it means to follow Jesus in a really deep level. But uh, he says this that I think, again, confronts all of us in, in our cultural moment. He says, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We'd actually like these. It's just that we're habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. And he's gonna like take it a little deeper and dig a little harder, okay? He goes on and he says, we are more busy than bad more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. No, disclaimer, we love the movie theater, okay? You can still go to the movie, th you should go to this movie theater specifically. Uh, but he's got a point, doesn't he? Like our lives are just so full of stuff and often we find ourselves distracting ourselves just to like avoid the anxiety of all the busyness that we have going on. And I love that phrase that he coined, uh, pathological busyness. 
uh, we've heard a lot about like pathological things over the past several years with COVID and viruses. And essentially he's saying busyness in our culture, it's kind of like a virus that spreads. And uh, we all keep just like raising the bar on what the threshold for a busy life looks like, because it's like you get busier and then I get busier to try and match the pace. And then our world just gets more and more frenetic and more and more anxious. And it's just spreading like a virus throughout our culture. And if there's any time that it's more dangerous than the others, isn't it the holiday season? Right? Is there a busier season on the calendar anymore? In fact, I saw this uh, meme this week, because if you know me, you know I love to laugh at memes. And uh, I saw this video of this adorable dog, a little mischievous. It says, it's starting to smell like let's circle back after the holidays season. <laughs> That's my favorite tactic this time of the year. It's like a big thing comes up. I'm like, we got to deal with that. I'm like, yeah, let's circle back in a couple months, right? When things calm down, which they never really calm down. It's just an excuse to procrastinate. But this time of the year, it can be so busy, right? There's all the hustle and bustle. There's the meals to plan and the meals to prep. If you're like me, the family texts are firing up about like, so whose house are we at for Thanksgiving and who's making what and don't you burn it again? And like, it, it's all firing up. Uh, there's the gifts to buy and the gifts to wrap eventually as we get ready for the Christmas season. Family to coordinate with, maybe some family to avoid, right? Parties to go to. There's all that year-end stuff, which we ought to do, and then most of us forget to do, like our taxes and setting goals for the next year and all that, like, oh, we gotta wrap up a year stuff. It's just, it's busy. It's naturally a busy time of the year. And, and again, John Ortberg wrote this in one of his books about uh, the nature of the pace of our lives. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. Okay, the great danger isn't like we're gonna turn evil tomorrow or just like, I'm done with this stuff. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Isn't that what it feels like sometimes? Like you can never go very deep with anything because you're always just bouncing to the next thing. So it's like a rock skimming off the surface where we go from thing to thing to thing. If you struggle with what I'm talking about today, one, I told you I'm with you, okay? But you're also gonna identify with one of the characters in the scripture that we're going to look at together. It's a famous story. Uh, many of us have probably heard it if you've been around church. If you haven't, we'll catch you up. Uh, but it's the story of these two sisters who are friends with Jesus and who have very different reactions to Jesus. And uh, the context is it was a busy season for Jesus, the good kind of busy. He had been doing a lot of preaching and teaching and talking about the kingdom of God and the movement was kind of starting to fire up. He had crowds everywhere that he went and, and like he would talk about the kingdom of God and then he would show the kingdom of God in action. He would heal people and it was this amazing thing. And so like more and more people wanted some time with Jesus and uh, the man, demands were increasing and Jesus realized it was time for him to do something that he did often that we very rarely do. He's like, you know, I got to take some time and I got to get away. I got to get away specifically with my heavenly father to remember who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing so I can stay on track and so I can stay spiritually healthy. So he's going away off to the mountains, as scripture often says, like he went off to have time on his own. But on the way, he decided as he was passing through, he was going to stop in and check on a few of his friends. So he stops by the house of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha, we don't know a ton about them. They were friends with Jesus uh, they show up later in scripture when their brother Lazarus passes away and Jesus miraculously raises him from the dead. Uh, so we know that they were close to Jesus, but beyond that, uh, they show up and Jesus is walking by and it's recorded in Luke 10. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
you gotta pay attention to the posture of these two sisters as this interaction goes on. So Martha opens up her home. She's like, come on in, Jesus. Let's hang out. Let's catch up. I'll get the food ready. And Mary is sitting there at Jesus' feet just listening to him. And the posture of these two sisters cannot end up being more opposite because Mary is spending time with Jesus. Right? She's sitting at his feet. They're talking. They're laughing, I'm sure. They're catching up. Meanwhile, uh, Martha is slaving away in the kitchen. Right? She's got the apron on. You can hear the pots and pans clanging. It's going crazy. And the text goes on and tells us that Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. And eventually it reaches a boiling point and she comes into the room and she asks uh, Jesus. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, right? So it, it says Martha was distracted by all the preparations. This wasn't just like she was making a good meal that night. What likely was happening is they were preparing for the Jewish Sabbath that was about to happen. It's this weekly rhythm in the Jewish faith where work stops, where, where people rest to remember that God created everything and that God ultimately sustains everything. But what that meant is the night before the Sabbath, there was a lot of prep to do because you still had to survive, right? You still had to eat something. You still had to, to make it through and you couldn't work on that day. So Martha is working hard, doing all the preparations that need to be done. And she reached that point that probably all of us have been to before. If you're a little too fried, or even lurking a little too hard for a little too long, where she, she looks up and she goes, don't you people care? Hey, don't, don't you see what I'm doing for you? It's kind of like the subtext under what's happening. And, and so she walks out and she's got her spoon, I'm sure like armed at the ready, like, Jesus, don't you care about me? And, and can you get my sister to get in here and help? Right, can you get her in here? You, you can put on an apron too, Jesus. Like, come on, there's stuff to do around here. She's got this attitude. And, uh, you know, it's easy for us reading through the story. If you've heard it before, or maybe even in this moment, like, it's easy for us to kind of pick up, like, something's a little off here with Martha. Right, like, like Mary's just there with Jesus, which seems like a good thing. And she's charged up, and she's angry, and she's, don't you care? And, and so it's easy for us to judge Martha's posture here. But how many of us are doing the same thing? day in and day out, right? How many of us are doing the same thing with the pace of our lives? How many of us are on our best behavior when we're hurried? Because if you're like me, I am the worst father, pastor, husband, friend, human in the world when I'm hurried, right? When I'm, when I'm rushed, when I'm anxious, like the morning routine, when, when my daughter Eden, she's five, when she doesn't like run according to schedule and it's like, oh, we gotta go, like mama's got to get to work, I've got stuff to do, like the worst side of me comes out. That's when the anger is right there at the surface. That, that's when it's easy for the tension to, to become obvious. That's when it's easy for me to have a critical spirit. Right? It's not exactly, if, you, if it doesn't spill out to my outer world, if you could see my inner world, it's not exactly all that peace and love and joy and hope stuff that Jesus says should be in there. Right? And I'd be willing to bet you're the same. We're not at our best behavior when we're hurried. And Jesus knows this. So Martha comes out, and Martha's all charged up, and she's like, don't you care? And, and Jesus responds. And Jesus looks at her. I can imagine with compassion in his eyes and in his voice. And Jesus says, Martha, 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 if you're a Brady Bunch fan. He says, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what's better, and it won't be taken from her. There's power in that perspective, isn't there? Like, like Martha's all charged up, and she's doing the stuff. Remember, 
It's preparation for the Sabbath. Do you know who the Sabbath in many ways was for? It was this act of devotion to God. So if Jesus is who Jesus says he is, Martha's got a case, right? She's like, I'm doing it for you. You told me to do this. Like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus is like, you're worried and upset about so many things. But few things are required, right? Few things are needed. What a radically different posture than the way that we tend to live our lives. Few things are needed, right? And for all the Marthas in the room who are like, you have no idea what it takes. <laughs> you have no idea what it takes to set that table every night. You have no, for all of us in the room, I want you to catch, Jesus didn't say what she was doing was bad. In fact, she's doing exactly what she was expected to do in many ways, right? She's doing all this good activity. Jesus simply said there's something better. He said there's something better right in front of you. And for how many of us, again, it's not like we wake up and we make the choice between evil and good today. It's not like, am I going to worship the devil or am I going to be holy? For many of us, we make choices between good and better, right? We make choices between all of the good stuff that we try and stack on our plate and the potential that Jesus says that there's actually something better. And do you know what that something is? What this tells us is the fundamental thing that God wants from all of us is an actual relationship with us. Right? Martha's doing all the activity. She's doing all the religious activity she's supposed to do. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. I'm right here. Spend time with me. Right? Connect with me. It's not just another thing to do. It's supposed to be the fuel for everything that we do. Right? Like, like God's looking for this relationship, but our relationship with God doesn't mean he should just be another part of our lives that we work in when we can. It means that he's the source of our life that he's the thing behind the thing. He's the thing behind every relationship and everything. And like every relationship, the relationship that you and I can have with Jesus grows when it's invested in, when it's prioritized, when we actually make space for it. And again, I am a hypocrite, okay? This is hard for me. I'm a pastor and I know I'm supposed to be like up on the pedestal and be all holy and y'all just roll me out on Sundays and like, oh. But like that's not how my real life works. So just human Eric for a second, this is hard for me. Because my temperament and my nature is I have a bias towards action to a fault. I'm like, we gotta do something. We gotta, we gotta move stuff forward. And so what that means for me is that when I get overwhelmed with my life, I tend to double down on work, not back away and take some rest. I tend to be like, let's work harder and let's do it. And if it's possible, I think it should be done, right? So I'm like, let's go after it. And then I can find myself exhausted and fried and disconnected from my Heavenly Father and from the people around me, just like many of us live, right? Here's the point as we talk about how Jesus approached the table. Jesus didn't just create space at the table, which he did that, that's week one, right? He created space for everyone always, but he didn't just create space at the table. Jesus also took his time at the table. Jesus knew how to be present to the moment that he was living in. And there are spiritual gurus and masters across all kinds of traditions, okay? Not just Christianity spiritual masters across all kinds of traditions, including uh, secular psychologists and mindfulness experts, all kinds of people in our current moment, uh, many of them are saying the same thing, that if there is a secret to happiness, if there is like a key to living a happy, fulfilled life, it's simply presence to the moment. It's being present to the moment that we're living in, that the more present we can be to right now, the more joy we can actually tap into. And that's what Jesus was modeling in this moment. 
right? It's not about worrying about our past and regret and ruminating on what if and what could have been and what should have been. And it's not having anxiety about the future and all the things that we can't control. Jesus is showing us, no, 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 be present right here and right now. And that's actually the pathway to a fulfilled life and the pathway to the thing that's better. And and I was thinking about this. And Shanna, I know you're here. I got to give you a disclaimer. I'm not picking on you. We've got a little feud, if you don't know, on Facebook. Uh, I still celebrate Thanksgiving, (laughs) and Shanna has been decking the halls for months, okay? (laughs) You're welcomed here. Everyone's welcome at the table. But in all seriousness, I want to get on a little soapbox for just a second, and I want to pick at that dynamic, not you, but just the dynamic that I've experienced uh, more and more, it seems like, each year as it relates to the holiday season, because uh, I was really struck by this just a couple of weeks ago when it was like the day before Halloween, and I opened up my email inbox, and I got a Black Friday ad. And I was like, like it, and it wasn't like a Black Friday sales are coming. It was Black Friday sales start today. And I was like, what? It's not even Halloween yet, right? Like, do you know why Black Friday was called Black Friday? Because it happened on a Friday, like a specific Friday, which was the Friday after Thanksgiving. And, and there was all that buildup, right? My family never participated, so I've got a little extra judgment for all you crazy people. But, but there is that buildup, right? It's like we're going to do the Thanksgiving thing, and then we're going to wake up early, and we're going to go stand in line at Target, and like whatever. Uh, it's changed. It, we've, we've done this thing where like almost every holiday, we're just trying to like stretch it out farther and farther. And some of that's the retail machine at work, and that's fine. Some of it is I think we're looking for, for that meaning and that significance wherever we can find it in the crazy pace of our lives. I mean, I I felt it with Halloween this year. Uh, My daughter dressed up as Darth Vader, which made me so proud as a dad. Uh, But that whole month, really, leading up to Halloween, we participated in like four or five different trick-or-treating type events throughout the month. And and so it was like the first weekend in October, Darth Vader's out there, we're going around and we're getting candy. And then the next weekend, we're doing it again, we're doing it again. And it just kind of struck me, as we approached the night of Halloween, this is different than when I was a kid. Because for me, I got my costume and it hung in the closet and I'd like peek in there all October long, like, is today the day? Do I get to put it on? Do I get to put it on? And then Halloween would happen and it was the, like, I did it. And like, there I was in my costume. We went around, we got the candy and it was so exciting. And I took my daughter around and it was still fun, but it was just another thing, right? Oh, we're doing this again. And I'm like, we lost something in that, didn't we? I'm not saying it's bad, but maybe there's something better. That, that we once had. And, and as we stretch them all out, right, I, know, I get it. Thanksgiving's a day, Christmas is a season, I've heard it. But as we stretch it all out, like it's okay if your tree's up, it's even better if it's not. <laughs> but these holidays, they used to be holy days, right? They, they were days set apart for a specific reason. And, and as we stretched it out, I, I'm afraid we've lost something along the way. Like, like I'm, I'm afraid that it's this indicator that being present to a moment is kind of a lost art in our world. That because we are so busy going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, it's like, yes, I'm putting up the tree right now because I just need a little hope somewhere, <laughs> right? Like I just, I just need a little bit of something. So we try and stretch it all out, but maybe it illustrates something that's a little off about our pace of life. There's a Japanese theologian whose name I will most likely butcher. Uh, his name's Kasuki Koyama, and he wrote a book that was actually about the pace of God. It's kind of an interesting concept. He he wrote about the speed at which God operates and the speed at which God moves. And he says this, that God walks slowly because he is love. And if he's not love, he would have gone much faster. 
Love has its speed, and it's an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed to. It's slow, and yet it is Lord over all other speeds because it's the speed of love. It's a different perspective, right? That you can't really rush love. You can't really hurry love. That love is not efficient. Love takes its time. Love tends to move slowly. I was reminded uh, of this little movement that happened. I think it's still happening. I don't know. Uh, But I got kind of into it in college. It was called the slow food movement. And the whole idea is it was this reaction to fast food, which I have no judgment for fast food. I ate at Taco Bell this week, and I will likely do it again. Okay, big fan. Uh, But it was this reaction to kind of our American culture and the way that we approach the table, the way that we approach food. And for many of us, fast food is or it was amazing because it used to be cheap and it used to be fast, or sometimes it still is, but like it it was this way that we could stay busy and we could grab a quick bite and and satiate ourselves and then move on to the next thing. But this slow food movement was basically a reaction that said, wait, 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 we're losing something. So maybe we need to slow down and we need to think like, what are the ingredients that are going into our food? Then is there power when we actually cook together? We actually like come around a stove and there's a relationship that happens and when we actually don't rush the meal. I know it's not very American, but like if we slow down and we enjoy one another's company and it was this powerful thing, but I was thinking about it and I was thinking maybe we need a spiritual version of that for our day, right? We need like a spiritual slow food movement that, that says maybe we need to slow the pace a little bit because maybe we're running faster than the pace of love and love is that thing that we're actually called to do, right? Love God and love other people but the speed of love is slow. And, and listen, I get it. We're almost done with this thing today, okay? But like, I don't feel like I have to work that hard today to convince us that there's kind of a problem. Like all of us feel it. And, and I don't think I have to work that hard to be like, do you want a solution? Do, do you want it to be different? Because I think if we're honest, all of us do. But it is so much harder to actually do than it is to talk about. It's so much harder to actually practice than it is to want. And, and so just as we're kind of wrapping up, let me give you a couple handles on this thing. A little bit of a starting point. If you want this holiday season to hopefully look a little closer to the pace of love than the frenzied pace that it often is, how do we actually do it? I think the first thing is we have to make it a priority. We've got to choose that we value it. We've got to choose that we want it. And for me, a lot of times what that means is if I want to prioritize time to slow down, time to create space where I can actually connect with God, actually kind of be mindful of myself, be mindful of the relationships around me, For me, that happens best in the mornings. That if I, like on the days that I'm good, if I get up early, there's a chair in our spare bedroom that a lot of times I sit in, there's a Keurig next to it because you gotta have coffee to have a spiritually vibrant life apparently. Uh, But for me, like if I sit in that chair and I take the time, even if it's like 10, 15 minutes before I wake up my daughter, if I take that time and I slow my pace and I stay attentive, it shapes my days. I know the days that I do it versus the days that I don't. And if you don't believe me, my wife knows the days that I do it versus the days that I don't. And the team around here knows the days that I do it versus the days that I don't. Because when I do it, it's easier for me to be mindful of where God might be moving. Just easier to have that attentiveness uh, throughout my day. And the days that I don't do it, I'm behind from the second I start, right? It's like, we gotta go, we gotta go. And I'm yelling at my daughter and I'm yelling at the dog. And I'm just like, it's frenetic, it's chaotic. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're so behind. And Look, I get it. You're probably like, okay, Eric, you're a professional Christian. Okay, like you're a pastor. That sounds like it's your job to just sit around and pray all the time or sit around and and be mindful of God. What about us real people in the real world who have like real responsibilities and real jobs? And I get it. Maybe the question is like, how could I possibly find the time for that? Here's what I would say to you. 
It's that you always have time for whatever you do first. You always have time for whatever you do first. And again, I'm not better than you in this. I'm really bad at this. I go through seasons where, again, I know you want me to be a perfect pastor, but I go through seasons where I'm not good at this. But we all have the same 24 hours every day, and we all decide how we're going to invest them. We all decide where they're going to go. And in fact, I saw this meme going around, and it's very heavy-handed. I, I thought about not sharing it because it doesn't totally rep like re represent my posture or my feeling towards it, but I saw a lot of pastors sharing it because we're all kind of bitter these days. Uh, but it was this meme of 12 reasons why Christians don't attend sporting events. It says, number one, the coach never came to visit me. Every time I went, they asked for money. People sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. The seats were very hard. We don't have that problem here. Okay, you have a cup holder. You're welcome. Uh, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. I was sitting with hypocrites, and they only came to see what others were wearing. I don't really know what that one's all about. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. I know exactly what that one's all about. <laughs> the band played songs I'd never heard. Games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Uh-oh. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyway. <laughs> I don't want to take my kids because I want them to choose for themselves which sports they like best. Again, very heavy-handed, right? Like, and we all kind of grow, like, I get it. But there's a little bit of truth in it, isn't there? Like, like there's a little bit of truth. Maybe it's not sports for you. I'm not going to touch the movies, okay? But, like, we all choose what we value. We all choose what we value most. And just, again, to get on a brief soapbox, I kind of talked about this a week or two ago. I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's a big deal. Like, parents, the choices that you make aren't just choices for you. If you're choosing to prioritize whatever it may be, and... and Again, I'm with you in this. Okay, my daughter's five, which means she's gearing up into like all the extracurricular activities. We had soccer, we've got dance. I have one child and two activities and it felt like a lot to me to pack into a week. Some of you have big families and lots of things to get to, right? But I get it, there's this tension between what we choose. And it's like, there's only so much room in the schedule and where does it all go? But I'm telling you, if you're putting their spiritual well-being as a leftover back burner, when we can fit it in, we'll get it in there, you're missing it. And it's one thing for you, okay? It's one thing for your faith as an adult to choose that, and that's your choice. But it is another thing when you're making that choice for your kids because the stats aren't good. The stats aren't good when we look at the faith of the next generation and we see that most kids reach 18 and then they walk away from all of it because we haven't built them a foundation that can last the challenges of adulthood, right? They walk away from what feels like a fairy tale faith that was optional week in and week out. It's up to us and you have time for whatever you choose to prioritize. You have time for whatever you put first. They're good things. There's something better. Get off the soapbox. For me, I think one of the habits that actually can like, open up my spirit to connect with God, to be mindful of how I'm loving others, to even be mindful of myself, it's the standard pastor advice, okay? But I think it really matters when we do it. It's spending time in prayer. And prayer is like one of the most countercultural activities we can do as Jesus followers. And it's difficult. Okay? It's difficult because it feels kind of inefficient. It feels kind of ineffective. It, like maybe you've spent time in prayer before and you're like, did it do anything? Did it do anything for me? Or was I just distracted the whole time? Like maybe you're like, I'm going to be really good and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to sit and I'm going to pray for 15 minutes and five minutes in you fell back asleep <laughs> or, or you wake up and and 10 minutes in, you're like, what else do I have to do today? And your mind goes way off this way. And then you're like, whoop, sorry, Jesus. What, are we, what were we talking about? What was I? 
you read the Bible and then you get distracted by a thought. You get, like, I get it. And so what many of us end up doing is we pray at mealtimes, maybe, or, or if there's a test or something big at work, we maybe pray about it, a health concern, we pray about it, or bad traffic, right? Like, these are the times that we actually are mindful of God. So we're like, I need some help. But there's actually an incredible promise that's recorded in Scripture that if we actually prioritize and invest that time with God, uh, there's kind of a return that we can get on it. It's one of those few moments in Scripture where it's almost like an if-then relationship. And James writes about it. He says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. That if you set the table, if you slow the pace, and you set the table, not only do you like, make the effort to draw near to God, but God promises he'll draw near to you in that space as well. And we have access to that. We just often don't actually prioritize it. We often don't actually create the space. And, and this space doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to have a Keurig. You don't have to light candles. You don't need magic words, okay? In fact, the more honest the words that you pray, the better. Because again, it's just like Jesus on the other side of Martha. He doesn't want all the right religious activity. He wants your heart in whatever state it may be in today, in whatever state it may be in this moment. It's about us being honest to God. And I... Uh, Again, I'm not great at this. I was confronted by this recently because uh, I was thinking about, again, what I do in the mornings and what some of my disciplines and habits are. And I'm really going to out my nerdiness uh, here for a second. But I realized uh, that around June or July of this year, I got Instagram ads enough times that I finally bit on this game on my phone called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes because I'm an adult. Uh, but it, it's like just this turn-based game. It's, it's harmless. It's not bad, right? It, it's kind of fun. I'm into it. So I, I play it sometimes just to pass time or in the evenings, uh, but there's this feature in the game where you get daily rewards if you log in, and there's like a little calendar graphic that pops up first thing every morning, and I realized, uh, I think I started, I noticed the calendar thing in August, and I checked off every day in August, September, <laughs> and October, and November's looking good too. I, I realized, I'm like, this might be the most consistent thing I do in my life right now. Right? It's funny, but it's also kind of like, eh. Right? Because like, I don't drink water that well. <laughs> I haven't been to the gym in any of those days. We won't talk about my spiritual record, right? The, the time that I've made with God. But it's just like, it was kind of sobering. And listen, I had a little video game calendar pop up to get my attention, but you're making your choices too. Right? You have your priorities and your choices too. They may not be in a galaxy far, far away, but... They do influence you, and they do affect you. And when it came to Jesus, he controlled his pace. When it came to the table, Jesus moved slow. He didn't lose sight of the main thing. He moved at the pace of love. And if we want to follow him, we can't move faster than he did. We've got to move at that pace as well. So what if this holiday season, you chose to do the same as Jesus? What if it was less hurried and a little holier? not because you're perfect and put together, but because you created sacred space? What if it was less scattered and more sacred? What if there was less pressure and there was more presence to the moment that you're living in, day after day? Jesus says there's something better than hurry, and it's being present to the moment that we're in, with him and with the people around us. So just as we wrap up, uh, I wanna read for you and read over you an invitation that Jesus made. It's a famous invitation, but I want you to hear it and I want you to consider for a moment, what if this is Jesus' invitation to you today and as we head into this season together? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Can you imagine what it would look like this season if we believed that invitation was for us? Let me pray for you. God, again, this is so easy for us to talk about. It's, it's natural for us to want. It's good for us, but it is really difficult for us to practice, especially in the pace of the world that we live in. So I just pray that you would give us clarity around what it looks like, that instead of just agreeing with you and instead of just wanting it, we might actually change some of our habits. And God, help us start small. Help us start small so that we might actually achieve it and make progress and grow. Maybe it's five minutes a day. Maybe it's just getting up a little bit earlier and, and taking a second to just check in and be like, where am I today and where do I see God? At the start of our day, at the end of the day, whatever it is, give us clarity around what to do with what we've heard. And God, may it be true of us that we would run at your pace, that in a hurried and anxious world, we could be evidence of the slow pace of love, that we would experience your love and that we would let that love overflow from our lives into the lives of everybody we meet. So God, help us, again, to know what to do with what we've heard. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.